And it's very gratifying that you all came out. I always am thankful, even if I don't always say it, that you took the time to come out on a Sunday morning and be here with us. And anytime anyone stands up here and speaks, you can know that if you're sitting out there, you have actually made a statement to them. You know, I'm here. I'm willing to hear what you have to say. Thank you for the prep work you put into it. So if I don't say it every time I speak, I mean it. Thanks for being here. We're going to talk about sin today, not something we talk a lot about necessarily in a UU congregation. And my slant's going to be a bit different from most churches. Sin is a concept permeates our culture, not just ours, but many others. And no matter what your personal beliefs are or how you were raised, I dare say you've heard the word sin and sinner many times. You have undoubtedly been told many times that you are a sinner or that you sin all the time, that sin is just something you do as a human being. It is the main line of attack against people, and I do mean against people, by many religions, not all, but many, who have accused you and will accuse you of failing to meet God's standards, that you are worthy of God's wrath and punishment. So today I want to delve into this idea of sin and whether or not you really are a sinner. First of all, the basic definition, as always, I go to dictionary.com to get this, The first definition, the primary, is transgression of divine law. So, it's a law, a standard established by God, and you have transgressed it, and when you do transgress it, you sin. Uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary is a little bit different, but again, has this religious connotation because it's an offense against religious or moral law. Now, within Christianity, you have this concept of original sin, When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, uh, they were told not to eat of the tree of the fruit or or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, not only did they transgress God's law, all of us, every human being since, is born into sin. You are a sinner from birth. You are corrupted because of that initial rebellion against God. In fact, you will see this in the New Testament. Some of you may have heard this thing called the Romans Road, which are five verses from the book of Romans that outline how you get saved. A couple of those include Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. And you also have Romans 5.12, which is, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, And death by sin, because before sin there was no death, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so this notion is that Adam and Eve in that original sin have corrupted all of us, and then we also pay those consequences. We now have physical death. We are literally incapable of pleasing God at this point. This is taken a step further in uh, certain branches of Christianity, uh, Calvinistic teachings, which talk about total depravity. And I'm going to give you a little bit of this quoting from one of their websites. And in fact, this is from the Center for Reformed Theology and Apologetics. 
Total depravity is probably the most misunderstood text of Calvinism. When Calvinists speak of humans as totally depraved, they are making an extensive rather than an intensive statement. The effect of the fall, that's the fall of Adam and Eve, upon man is that sin has extended to every part of his personality. Interesting they're using the male pronoun here, even though it applies to all people. And we can't chalk this one up to it being 100 or 200 years ago. This is current. Uh, His thinking, his emotions, and his will are all corrupted. Not necessarily that he is intensely sinful, but that sin has extended to his entire being. The unregenerate or unsaved man is dead in his sins. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, the natural man is blind and deaf to the message of the gospel. That is why total depravity has also been called total inability. The man without a knowledge of God will never come to this knowledge without God's making him alive through Christ. So in Calvinistic teaching, not only are you a sinner, you are so totally corrupted in every aspect of who you are, in your thoughts, your reasoning, everything, that you could not even become a Christian. You cannot understand the gospel message unless first God reaches down to you and essentially regenerates your mind enough, clears up your thinking enough that you can trust Christ as your Savior, that you can actually understand the gospel message. Now, this is Calvinistic teaching. This is not what you would find in other evangelical churches, like Southern Baptists, for instance, tend not to be Calvinistic and say, well, you still have enough ability to come to saving knowledge of Christ. But I want to show you how sin is viewed and how it's been viewed over history. And the bottom line is, over time, over analysis, humans become worse and worse and worse with this concept of sin. The traditional Christian view of sin is that all people are sinners, all deserve judgment, All deserve whatever punishment comes, whether it's eternal damnation or simply eternal destruction that you're gone and cease to be, you deserve it. And furthermore, you are unable to do anything good. And if you do something that, from an outward perspective, looks good, it's still sinful because you're doing it while your life is lived in rebellion against God. And I'm not exaggerating. Unless you are a Christian, nothing you do is pleasing to God. Not helping the poor, taking care of orphans and widows. None of that is good without a proper foundation, and that proper foundation is, I am saved. So all that other stuff is irrelevant. It is as filthy dirt. So the Holy Spirit has to intervene, help you understand the gospel message, and then you can get saved. Now, depending on which branch of Christianity, this grace of God is either irresistible, as Calvinists teach. In other words, you will be saved. God has chosen you. Or it's a general thing that the Holy Spirit gives to everyone, and you can choose to resist it or not. And finally, the final thing about this, and then we're moving on, is that there must be shedding of blood For that sin to be forgiven. Hebrews 9.22. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see this in the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament. Now, 
Not all Christians bought into this, including our forebearers, the Universalists. So we're going to take a look at the teachings of Hosea Ballou, arguably one of the most influential and famous early Universalists. And he wrote a book called The Treatise on Atonement. Atonement is payment for sins in this case. And he takes a different slant on this idea of how we get reconciled with God. How do we get right with God? If we're sinners, how do we get saved? How does God love us again? Because the message that was going out at that point is until you are redeemed, purchased by the blood of Christ, regenerated, saved, God is angry at you and he's going to punish you. And so how do we get right with God? And so Hosea Ballou writes about this. Now, as a universalist, he believed everyone got to heaven. That's what it meant to be a universalist at that point. means a little bit different today. That word has evolved over time also. But as he's writing, at the creation of what we know as universalism, everyone's going to heaven. But... In his mind, you still need atonement. You're still a sinner. you got to get this sin taken care of. So here's what he says as he talks about current Christian thought in his day. The belief that the great Jehovah was offended with his creatures to the degree that nothing but the death of Christ or the endless misery of mankind could appease his anger is an idea, emphasizes It's an idea that has done more injury to the Christian religion than the writings of all its opposers for many centuries. So Hosea Ballou is deviating from standard Christianity, and he says, this notion that God hates you, or at least your sin, and that he has to have the death of Christ to get that sin paid for, or those who reject it will be in endless misery, Hosea Ballou says this concept, these teachings, have damaged Christianity more than anything its enemies could write. It is a self-inflicted wound, a poisonous teaching from within. He says the error has been fatal to the life and spirit of the religion of Christ in our world. All those principles which are to be dreaded by men have been believed to exist in God. And professors have been molded into the image of their deity and become more cruel than the uncultivated savage. What he's saying here is, why do we attribute to God all this anger, all this hatred? When we don't even have that much hatred within us, why would we think God is like that? Then he writes, and if you think, by the way, that snarkiness is a modern thing, Listen to what Hosea Ballou writes. He knows what snarky means. It is every day's practice to represent the Almighty so offended with man that he employs his infinite mind in devising unspeakable tortures as retaliations on those with whom he has been offended. He has this idea of God just sitting up there infinitely wise, infinitely knowledgeable, and he's just sort of rubbing his hands, devising all these horrible tortures for you sinners. He thinks that is a preposterous notion, and he argues against it. 
He said, those ideas have so obscured the whole nature of God from us that the capacious religion of the human mind has been darkened by the almost impenetrable cloud. So he's arguing for a different type of Christianity, radically different type of Christianity, which became known as universalism. And he wasn't the first universalist by any means, but he is a strong, vocal, and well-known proponent of it. Now, in fairness, I'm not going to build him up to be a perfect saint or anything, because he's guilty of the same thing I've called out many other people for. He claims to know the mind of God. He claims to use both the Bible and reason to arrive at his conclusions, but again, how can he really know? I mean, he's cherry-picking Bible verses, too, and he's ignoring ones he doesn't like, as anyone who uses the Bible has to do, because you've got, you can really argue for almost anything out of the Bible. So he is using human reason here also, and he would be the first to admit it. It is unreasonable to think that God is more wicked, vile, nasty, torturing people, and devising ways of making them miserable. We wouldn't do that. Why do we think God does that? So, even though he's arguing from the Bible, he's also arguing from human reason, and he is saying, if God is love, and that's the if, if God is love, this traditional teaching makes no sense. Let's try something else. According to Ballou, God is not angry at us for being sinners. The blood of Christ has nothing to do with our salvation. Rather, and this is a quote, it is by the force and power of the law of love in Christ that the soul is delivered from the government of the law of sin. The process of this deliverance is the work of atonement or reconciliation. So what he says is, The law of love in Christ is what saves us. This is what reconciles us to God. It's not blood. It's not the murder of Jesus. It's not animal sacrifice. It's the law of love in Christ. Love reunites us with God, all of us. But still, don't forget, we are sinners, and we do need to be reconciled. So if we look on man... In the sinful Adam, there is no appearance of heavenly life or divine animation. So he doesn't have a great view of Adam either. The soul is bound in the fetters of sin, frozen with covetousness, and apparently dead in the winter of iniquity. But behold, the son of righteousness arising with healing in his wings, removing sin by the power of grace, and killing moral death with divine life and animation, and causing the soul to rejoice in the kingdom of grace and glory. So that's his view. The divine son of righteousness is healing us and saving us simply by love. Simply by love. And that may seem perfectly reasonable to you, but back then, that's heresy. You know, universalists were generally decried as not being Christians. Universalists said they were Christians, But the others said, no, you've rejected all these basic tenets of Christianity. Christ died for your sins. And Baloo said, no, 
It's, God, it's Christ's love that saves us. The death is not necessary. In fact, it was a demonstration of love. So we may come back to Baloo someday and do a more detailed analysis of what he wrote because it is part of the roots of who we are today. Um, but we are going to move on now because even though his view of Christianity was infinitely more uh, reasonable, more kind, more loving than what was going on back then and going on today in many places, nonetheless, he still feels that you're sinners. He wasn't going to go that far. He wasn't going to say, you're actually not sinners. He left that for other people, like me. So here we go. I have two propositions for you. And anytime I stand up here, you don't have to agree with anything I say. I'm not speaking like I have knowledge of the mind of God either or whether God exists. But here's a couple of propositions to think about. To be a sinner, you have to be violating a clear standard or law. As far as religions are concerned, when they call you a sinner, you are violating the law of God, some divine standard. That is the definition of sin. Two, I would argue there is no clearly defined and irrefutable law of God. There's lots of people who will tell you what that is, but to establish that God actually said it, that's a leap of faith. Since there are no clearly defined and irrefutable laws of God, you are not a sinner. You're not a sinner. You're welcome. (laughs) But setting aside that word, sinner, am I suggesting that all people are wonderful, good, kind, loving, caring, and considerate? No. I'm not saying that all of you are good, kind, wonderful, loving, and considerate all the time. In fact, I'd be pretty safe in saying we all fail that many times because we're humans. Are people capable of doing great harm, acting brutally? Of course they are. We see it all the time. So let's talk, instead of about sin, about the human condition, about where we are right now. I have found it best, rather than talking about good or bad or sin, to talk about things in terms of harmful or beneficial or, to use a fancier word, wheel, W-E-A-L, which most people haven't heard of. It, it essentially means to bring benefit or good will or help to somebody else. So wheel or woe, woe being, of course, the harm and the sadness that we can bring. What can I do personally to either bring benefit or joy, or what do I do to cause harm and suffering? On the surface, this may seem simple, but of course it is not. First of all, we must carefully consider the actions we take and the words we speak. And how often do we not do that? Do we just simply react rather than mindfully considering the implications of what we're about to do or say? And secondly, even if we do that, and even if we act with the best of intentions, sometimes we end up causing harm anyway, unintended consequences. That's a real thing. 
And we probably have all done that more than once too. You really thought you were going to help and you ended up causing harm or sadness or something and wished you hadn't done it. But your intentions were good. So we humans bungle our way through life. We cause harm, sometimes deliberately, sometimes accidentally. And some humans, seeing an opportunity in this, have created a variety of gods who are displeased with these failures. Sometimes these religions are created to help you overcome your guilt. Sometimes they're created to take advantage of your guilt and institute methodologies that make you either give money or time or bring animals for sacrifice. Now, the gods don't need your money or your time or your sacrifice. So who benefits from this other than those who have created this religion to get these things from you? And we see this today, sadly. Lots of stories about televangelists bilking people, buying giant personal jets for themselves, money of poor people who donate out of guilt, out of a desire to please God, and they're just being taken advantage of. This is not a new thing either. Since humans constantly fail to meet standards, there's always that guilt that can be played upon. Also, consider what is actually defined as a sin. Take basic human desires and define them as sin. Take the very basic things that drive you and say, God doesn't like those, he hates those, and you're just totally out of luck. For instance... Are you hungry? Well, you're a glutton. Are you attracted sexually to someone? Well, you're just lustful. Do you want something nice that your neighbor has? Would you like to get it too? Well, now you're coveting. Do you have doubts about the religious teachings that are given to you? Well, you're a heretic. And on and on it goes. Basic human desires turned into a weapon against you. Sin is a construct of humans who claim to know the mind of God, who claim to know the law of God, who claim to know what you do pleases or displeases God, and then take advantage of you, or in some cases try to help you overcome that. I mean, there's both sides of that story, too. But think about it. If you break a civil law, you're a criminal or a felon. But the legal term is not sinner. That's reserved for those religious laws. Unless, of course, you live in a theocracy where the two are combined together. But sin is a concept, has been used to put a wall between humans and God. You are defined as unacceptable, and something has to be done to fix that. Something that other humans will tell you you need to do to fix that. Just do as they say, and you can have that relationship with God restored. This concept of sin is also used to demean people. We certainly see it nowadays in the endless attacks on the LGTB community. Just found out the DA in my county has been caught on tape saying that he doesn't treat same-sex marriage couples the same way when it comes to domestic abuse, and this has become a national story. 
And 300 lawyers in Tennessee have signed a letter calling for him to be investigated. He's bragging to fellow Christians that those couples don't get the same protections that heterosexual couples get. Because that's an abomination to God when two men or two women get married. And so that's not going to be treated as domestic assault. So these things are happening right now. Sin is a definition created by people to demean people. And we're told we're not worthy, we're told we deserve judgment, and that we deserve hell. The universalist said, no, God loves you anyway. The way we get that fixed is the love of Christ, not the death of Christ. God doesn't need blood. God is love. He sent Christ here to demonstrate love, and your salvation comes from love, not the blood. But even those who buy into a notion of eternal security, be it the old-style blood salvation or the salvation of the love of Christ, nonetheless, if there's this notion that there's hell out there, there's always that doubt, that fear of death. What comes afterwards Am I really saved? In response, I propose that if there is a God, and we define God as omnipotent, all-knowing, and beyond comprehension, transcending time and space, the God that created everything we know, why would any particular human religion have the one true insight into that? And that includes universalists and Unitarians. God's way truly is beyond our understanding if we define God this way. Our, our simple brains just couldn't comprehend it. Furthermore, if there is such a God, would not this God understand your failings? Just like you understand the failings of your children or your pets or your friends, you don't want to condemn them to eternal torture when they do something wrong. And if we're God's children, that same logic applies Perhaps such a God, understanding evolutionary origins of our harmful actions, the things we do, that would just be normal for God, understanding how the universe works, how we got here. I simply cannot get all worked up and worried about my relationship with a being that is beyond my comprehension and with which I really don't have a personal relationship. What does matter, and I, this is, take nothing else out of here, take this out of here. What does matter is my relationship with people. You don't need to constantly ask for God's forgiveness. You need to ask for forgiveness from the people that you've harmed. And perhaps in doing that, you are seeking God's forgiveness also, if you view it that way. Abandoning the concept of sin and rather living with the intention of not causing harm, seeking to bring benefit and harmony seems a much better way to live. And yes, even with good intentions, you will mess up, probably many times. That is just the way of things for us. Press on. Don't fall into the trap of despising yourself. For what it's worth... And I can't emphasize that enough. For what it's worth, because it's just my opinion, I say you're not a sinner. None of you. No human. What we are 
are humans with all the joys and pitfalls that entails. You are a miracle of self-awareness. I love the phrase, a little bit of the universe becoming self-aware. And that is an amazing thing, mind-boggling. The fact that you are here is, in a way, truly beyond comprehension. And that's, that's something to rejoice in. So ignore those who use the mysterious to frighten and control you. Live mindfully and compassionately. Don't hate yourself. Stand up to the spiritual bullies you encounter. Bring hope to those who are oppressed by these teachings. Your life is a gift, even if we don't know all the ramifications. Don't listen to those who hate being human and just can't wait to leave this world for the next. Appreciate this life and this world. We don't know what comes after death. So be thankful for what you have right now and live in a way that helps others to be thankful. Enjoy the wild ride that we call life. Be thankful for your existence. And finally, I can only close with this, I truly hope that in some small way this has been helpful for each one of you today. And thank you so much for being here.